Um, go ahead and have a seat. And uh, if you guys have your Bibles, please turn to the book of First John. There we go. Uh, and First uh, John chapter two. And uh, we are going to continue uh, in our series uh, in First John. Uh, the series title is "That You May Know." And so what we're doing is we're walking through the book of First John. We're currently at the end of, towards the end of chapter 2. Um, and we're, we're going to see what it is that he wants us to know this morning. Um, and, and what I want to do is, as we open here, is I want to remind us uh, quickly about last week. Because last week and this week uh, are, real, all of it's inseparable, right? Um, but it is extremely pertinent to this morning's message to remember and to remind ourselves of what we talked about last week. And that was last week uh, that the Apostle John wrote to the church um, and wanted them to know what is from the Father and contrastly what is from the world. And we talked a little bit about in Matthew chapter 7 how Jesus uses the same language, but he says there are two paths. There's the, there's the easy path with a wide gate. He says, but that's the path that leads to destruction. And he said, but then there's also a narrow road and it's, it's hard Right, it's a it's a hard road, excuse me, with a narrow gate, and that is the way that leads to eternal life. And remember how we talked about how the apostle John, who wrote the book of First John, walked with Jesus, and so he we we can very uh, safely uh, guess that he was sitting there with Jesus as Jesus was teaching on these two paths. And then and then the apostle John draws from what he learned from Jesus, what he heard from Jesus, and he passes it on to this church and tells them, listen. I want you to know what is from the world and where it leads. And I want you to know what is from the Father and where it leads. And then this morning, that leads us right into this morning. Uh, and our, our message this morning is entitled, That You May Know How to Spot a Wolf. And what's amazing about uh, 1 John chapter 2 here, the sequence, is it mirrors Matthew chapter 7 in Jesus' teaching. Because right after Jesus talks about the two paths, the easy and the difficult path, and where they lead, the very next teaching that he gives them is on wolves. And then this morning in our text in John chapter 2, we see that John talks about the two paths, the way of the world, the way of the Father, right? Uh, the, the, the difficult path, the, the, the easy path. And then he goes right into the section this morning and he starts talking about antichrists, which is we could very easily show, and I'm going to show that in a moment, but how that is the same um, as wolves, and so he uses the, the, the term, we're going to read it a few times in our text this morning in a moment, the term antichrist. And, and what the word Christ means, in order for us to understand how to spot a wolf or how to spot an antichrist, we need to know what it is. And so the word Christ means anointed one or the Messiah, one God sent to save. So if you are the antichrist or if you are an antichrist, then you are one who is against Christ. Okay, So if you're an antichrist, and the teaching of an antichrist is teaching that goes against Christ, the one that God sent to save. So it is safe for us to say that if we are against the one whom God sent to save, then we are also against God's plan to save anybody. So not only do we stand in opposition of Christ, but, but we are in opposition of the entire Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because it is God who decided uh, how to save people. 
It is God who said, we are going to send our son, Jesus, and he is going to be the propitiation for the sins of the world. And so an antichrist or a wolf, we can say, is one who is against God's plan to rescue and to protect his sheep. So, so I hope that, that I, may, I said that easily enough for us to follow. An antichrist or a wolf is one who is against God's plan to rescue and protect his sheep. Okay? So with that, let's read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 27 together, as we did last week. We'll pray, and then we'll walk through this. So chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Father, I pray this morning that you would help uh, this teaching, God, to abide in Christ. Father God, that this teaching would exalt the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That this teaching, God, would, would um, come alive and we would be encouraged. I pray this morning, God, that you would overcome, Lord, my uh, limitations, and God, that you would use the foolishness of a broken person preaching an unbroken message, God, to both confound the wise and to convict as well as save. We pray this in Christ's great name. Amen. Amen. You guys ever seen wolves? I love wolves. Not the kind we're talking about this morning. I'm talking about the real predators, the wolves out in the wild, right? The ones that we uh, pretty much killed off and reintroduced. Uh, and wolves are amazing. And I think, well, actually, I know that it is no um, accident, but it is extremely in, uh, um, on purpose that Scripture uses the term wolf, right, to define false teachers. What do we know about wolves? It is natural for them to kill and to prey on sheep. It is natural. It doesn't go against their nature. It's what they do. 
Have you guys seen actually how big a wolf is? Like, it's not just a little bit bigger than a coyote. For those of you who wolves are big. He, I, unfortunately, I've not yet been lucky enough to see one alive running in the wild, although that is one thing I hope to do um, one day. Um, but seeing, uh, going to uh, outdoor shows and things of the like, uh, often some of the vendors will have, um, you know, a stuffed wolf. We're not talking a German shepherd. You guys know that, right? We're talking like the backs of these things come up to like here. Like these are big, powerful animals. And their terror is not limited to a small area, but they roam. In fact, do you guys know that there's actually been um, a slight sighting of wolves back in the northern area of California? Did you know that? Because when scientists reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone, they thought they knew wolves and they thought they knew the range of wolves. But yet there's actually a documentation of one of the wolves that they have uh, marked and that they track has actually come down into the northeastern corner of California a time or two and made its loop right back up. That's a long ways from Yellowstone. A long ways. But wolves present a strong image of the intent and the destruction of false teachers. I think that's why Jesus uses the word wolves. Like, we're not mistaking a, a wolf. It cannot be mistaken for a cute little cuddly puppy, right? We're not talking like a little teabag dog that Paris Hilton would carry around in her purse. We are talking about a predator, a predator that seeks out something that is weak and vulnerable. And when that, when that predator spots that person, like, like as, as what, Christ, what did Christ do as a shepherd? Christ seeks out the weak and the vulnerable. And what does he do? He nurses them to health. He cares for them, right? He takes away the diseases that they might have, and he brings healing. A wolf has no good intentions. A wolf's one main, its, its purpose, its intent is not to bring health and healing, but is to destroy. That's it. That's what a wolf does. It is natural. It is how a wolf lives. And the truth is, is that wolves do exist in the church. The truth is, is that wolves are dangerous. Scripture tells us that there's two types of wolves that we can see. One we'll call the lone wolf. A lone wolf is easy for us to spot. And you guys know that, I just learned this yesterday, uh, actually, that lone wolves are the most dangerous wolves because they don't hunt in a pack. Therefore, they have to be stronger and tougher and more deadly than a pack of wolves because they have to do it by themselves. And so a lone wolf, what we would call a lone wolf when we equate it to the church is it's going to be just a complete, outright, false teaching, an obvious denial of Jesus as Lord. Okay? These are atheists. These are Satanists. These are Hindus. These are Muslims. Okay? The real easy ones. Right? And if only all wolves were lone wolves. But they're not. Because actually what, what John addresses here in chapter 2 and what Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 7 is the second type of wolf, and that's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That is a sneaky wolf. That is a wolf that doesn't want you to know that it's a wolf because its tactic is to sneak in close to you and harm you. It's not an all-out assault, frontal assault, right? It's an ambush. Wolves in sheep's clothing come in the, 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 the disguise of these days of what we know as Mormons or Catholics and sadly even Christians. 
Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, this is what Jesus said. He says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way, they act. And the truth is, is that the church, we take this idea of wolves and sheep's clothing, because that's really what we're going to focus in this morning on how to spot a wolf, right? An obvious wolf is pretty easy. What's hard to spot is a wolf in sheep's clothing. But sadly, the church takes us all too sad. Excuse me. Sadly, the church takes us all too casually, is what I'm trying to say. If you want to understand how to really treat the threat of a wolf, then join my family in watching Mountain Men. We love that show. Love it. Yep. And so, okay, buddy, thank you. So... But in, in Mountain Men, they, they, they follow these people who have decided to, for the most part, not 100%, but for the most part, live off the land. And they follow them in different parts of the country, North Carolina, uh, in uh, New Mexico, in the Cimarrons, as well as Alaska, and in Montana. And the, the, the people they follow in Alaska and Montana are, co- are constantly battling wolves. And when they see a wolf, and when they see the effects of a wolf, and when they see the results of a wolf, one, they automatically know it's a wolf. There's no guessing the destruction of a wolf. There's no mixing it, I should say, with the destruction of another predator or a natural disaster. They know it's a wolf. And they intently seek out that wolf to destroy the wolf before it destroys its prey. In uh, some of you guys might have heard of Tim Chalice. He is an online blogger and author, um, a great blog to follow. And he recently, uh, in the last couple of years, I should say, he wrote an article called Smilingly Leading You to Hell. And this is addresses this, this subject of, of, of wolves and sheep's clothing within the church. And he points out that our flaw in the church, or one of our flaws in the church, is our ability to spot Wolves, And so in his article, he writes that one of these isn't like the others. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, niceness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he goes on to talk about how one of those is not like the others. And that one is niceness. You see, when we think of a wolf, we immediately think of the lone wolf, who is obviously a wolf, who is obviously out to kill and destroy. We don't ever think of the wolves in sheep's clothing. And oftentimes, we allow this guise of niceness or this characteristic of niceness to blind us to the fact that it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He says that the the Holy Spirit may help us be nice, but niceness is not necessarily proof that we are living in the Spirit and by the Spirit. Some of the most evil people are also the nicest people. You see, we tend to think that nice people would never deceive us. Why? Because they're nice. Right? Like, like in our minds, we're like, wait, you can't be deceitful because that's not nice and you're clearly a nice person. But that line of thinking, we deny the power of the world and the power of our enemy because we think that people in and of themselves are good. We think that niceness equals godliness. And that is why we are so deceived by some of the popular current 
quote-unquote Christian teachers that are some of the nicest people that you will see. And the defense of them is always what? They're nice. That is, if that is the basis for the defense of somebody, then, then you know, there, there's a big concern about whether or not they're actually of the Father or of the way of the world. Because listen, being nice is not necessarily contradictory to the way of the world. You got me? Being nice is not absolutely in accordance with the way of the Father. Because what we have to evaluate is the end result. Where is the niceness leading us? Is the niceness leading us to a deeper dependence on Christ and, and, and less of a dependence on ourself? Or is that niceness leading us to a dependence other than Christ? Whether it be on that wolf in sheep's clothing or on ourselves, right? Remember, this was the teaching that John is attacking in First John chapter and in the book of First John is Gnosticism, that, that light is inside you. Be the best you can be. Keep digging down deep inside. It's there. You just got to bring it out and uncover it. And so these false teachers that were causing this church split probably were really nice. That probably was one of their platforms of gaining uh, confidence in the, in the ears of their hearers. But the apostle, we must remember that the Apostle John writes to struggling Christians, Christians who have been stung by the attack of false teaching and were no doubt wondering about their own faith and even the, the teaching of their leaders. But John writes that they might know how to spot a wolf. So look at with me again, verse 18 through 21 here. In verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. And remember, Antichrist is one who is against Christ, who is against the person and the work of Jesus, as well as God's plan to save his people. He says, Therefore, we know that the last hour has come. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You see, darkness cannot continually stay in the presence of light. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden. They could not stay in the presence of God because they were no longer walking in accordance with His goodness. They chose to be like God which is in stark contrast to God's created order. So what was the punishment? Death, but we, we immediately think physical death. No, death is in the eternal separation from the presence and the joy and the goodness of God, their creator. They experience that instantly. With that death brought upon decay of the, of the human body and physical death, yes. But that's not the pinnacle of a punishment of sin. So he goes on and he says, for they, uh, if, had they have continued with us, we would have known that they were of us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. And what he's saying there, when he talked about anointed by the Holy One, is he's talking about the work of the Spirit to save them. He's saying you've been saved by the Holy Spirit. You have all knowledge. Not that we are in um, not that we in ourselves uh, possess complete knowledge, but that the anointing of the Holy One or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us possesses all knowledge. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. God Himself lives in and through God's people. 
And this is what the Apostle John, he's obviously not telling them they don't need a teacher or to come together as a church because he, in fact, is teaching them. But what he's saying is the one who possesses all knowledge, God Almighty, the Creator, lives in you, and you have that. He dwells in you. So in verse 21, he goes on to say, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, he says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And that is the first way that we spot a wolf. We spot a wolf by their life. By their life. Does their life confess Jesus or does it deny him? Is their life in constant dependent on God's grace? Or does their life, one, outright deny Jesus? That would be a lone wolf. Or does their life preach Jesus plus something equals salvation? Because that is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus plus your good works equals salvation. That is a wolf. Jesus plus you constantly living in defeat because you are a sinner is a wolf. Because yes, we are a sinner, but the good news is that Christ has covered our sin, making us righteous. Therefore, we do not have to live in a state of constantly beating ourselves because we're bad, because Christ has taken that beating and he has given us his life. Is it Jesus plus all of the world's goods? Prosperity gospel, we call it. And this is really where we get into some of the nicest people we know. Why is it, well, the answer is somewhat obvious, but why is it that the most, most of the most popular, quote-unquote, evangelical teachers are so wrong about the gospel? It amazes me how many Christians I see on Facebook liking and copying and Twitter and copying and reposting Joyce Meyer and uh, um, uh, Joel Olstein and the likes. It's not the true gospel. It's Jesus plus. And although not perfect, a true shepherd will always exalt Christ alone. Listen, even in their sin, you get that? How can that happen? By confession and repentance. Christ is exalted when we confess our sin and we repent from our sin. Christ is lifted up in that, not us. A wolf will not confess and repent of their sin. A wolf will not declare complete dependence on Christ and his work for the covering and forgiveness of their sin. Let me take a a moment and, and kind of intentionally go down a rabbit trail and tell you that this is why the local church matters so much. Your primary instruction, learning, devotion should not be from a podcast or a radio program, or a television program. But it should be from the local church. Not because I or other local pastors are better or more gifted or more skilled in teaching and preaching and talking. 
but because you have access to their lives. You notice how we didn't say that the way to spot a wolf is by their teaching. Because somebody could, on the surface, be saying all the right things, but their life could not be being lived in accordance with those teachings. That is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That is somebody who proclaims the power of Christ but denies it in his own life. That is a wolf in sheep's clothing. The local church matters because that is where, and local leaders matter. because Paul wrote constantly in his letters to the churches, you saw how we lived among you. We didn't hide ourselves. We lived among you. We sweated. We worked with you. We joined you in your city on mission. And we not only proclaimed the power of gospel to you, but we, we displayed the power of the gospel in our own lives, overcoming our own sins and faults and shortcomings. You see, too many American churches are filled with pastors who, who, um, who isolate themselves from the life of the church because they believe this lie. If you see me sin, you won't follow me. If you really knew how my marriage was, you wouldn't come listen to me. If you saw how I treat my kids and how messed up they are, you'd stop giving money to the church. But the message of Christ says that it's in the way I treat my wife, in the way I respond to my failing to love her sacrificially, the way that I fail to to treat my kids and, and, and correct them in a way that does not lead to their aggravation but leads to their growth, the way that I fail in that and the way that I respond to that actually is what qualifies me and others to be leaders and teachers in the church. You see, the qualifications for an elder is that he leads his family well. You cannot be an elder in the church if you are not faithful to that instruction. You are disqualified. Why is it then that we allow our leaders to be so separated from the life of the church? So that we don't know, is the wife really, is she really growing? Is she, is she healthy? Does she love her husband and his ministry? How are their kids? Are they rebellious? Do they really follow do they obey? Do they do what they, what they are told? So many times we just look at a person's giftings and say, you're our pastor because you have a good ability to do this or do that. And you guys, if you've been around me at all, you know that, that, that I, I have a, one of my pet peeves is the professionalism in the church that we hire our pastors and our elders rather than raising them up and training them and equipping them and sending them out to eld and to pastor. So the first way that we spot a wolf is by their life. Verse 26 tells us the second way that we spot a wolf. He says in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So the second way that we spot a wolf is we examine their methods. How do they go about instructing and leading? How do they go about gaining followers? How do they go about business? How do they conduct their business in the world and in the church? Is their method transparent and honest? Is the tangible fruit of their methods humility, confession, and repentance? Or is the tangible fruit from their methods covering up, excusing, 
lying, digging themselves in deeper, accusing others, blaming others, blaming circumstances and situations. You see, a wolf will not respond with humility, confession, and repentance. And all three of those must be present because wolves can have false humility. They can have false confession. But you really can't have false repentance if we're really talking about repentance. We can, we can come up with our own repentance, our own method of repentance, our own definition or what repentance looks like. But if we're talking about biblical repentance, a wolf cannot repent. A wolf cannot turn, as our kids know from their, if you ask them, what is repent? Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands. They'll sing this little song to you because they've all learned it. A wolf cannot turn from their evil ways and be obedient to Christ. A wolf cannot do that. Only a sheep can. Only one whose God's Spirit has made alive can turn from their evil ways and be obedient to Jesus and His ways. You might have started as a wolf. But if you're truly repenting, you've been converted to a sheep. The third way we spot a wolf is by their results. Look at verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Their results... Does their life and methods bring unity among God's people? Now listen, not conformity, but unity. We can argue, I'd love to argue this because I'm right uh, in this. No, I'm not always right, but in this. That there are very few reasons that God grants or, or um, very few instances where it is, let's say this, where it is God's plan, God's design, and God's will that you leave a church. Okay? Listen, a new season in life isn't one of them. Okay? Uh, the preacher's not funny enough isn't one of them. The music isn't rocking enough isn't one of them. You guys know that the, the two top reasons people leave churches in this country, number one, because their kids aren't having fun at kids' ministry, and number two, because the bathrooms. Those are the standards by which we, the church, decide where we will go to church. And I will say that is going to church if those are the reasons that you are choosing. And most often, they'll follow up, especially in our city. Let's know our culture well. In our city, they'll say, well, the preaching's not that good, and the music's not that good, but my kids have fun. My kids like it. So they acknowledge that the word is not being proclaimed. They acknowledge that Christ is not being exalted in the singing. But it's okay, because my kids like it. And in that, we're believing the lie that if we just get our kids to go, then they'll end up loving Jesus. But the truth is, is if that's the reason by which we're choosing our churches, then our kids will learn how to choose their churches. And when they don't like what the church is doing anymore, they're going to go find another church. The reasons... The godly reason, the God glorifying, the Jesus exalting reasons to leave a church are one, false teaching, not bad teaching, false teaching, and two, because you're being sent out on mission. 
Because the Holy Spirit has said, these people are going to go out and start a new work in my name. And they have the blessing of the church that they're, they're, they're going out from. It's not a parting, it's ascending. There's a big difference. But these people are prayed over, and they are equipped, and they are supported to go out. And, and the mission that God has for these people is agreed upon by their church, because that is one of the ways God speaks to us, is through His church, and they are sent out to go start a godly work. They are sent out to reach a different people in the city, or the county, or the state, or the country, or the world. God is glorified in that. That is why, although we might be strong, you will not hear us stop talking about church planting. There is no marker on when it's time to send out a church plant other than the Holy Spirit says go. Are there wise things that we can do in the meantime? Absolutely. Do we want to plant a church so that we will die? No. But if the Holy Spirit says it's time to go, then it's time to go. But a wolf will not bring about unity. A wolf will divide. A wolf will pit you against her and her against him and them against each other. And it does not breed unity. This is a little bit what, what Paul was addressing when he said, um, who, who, who am I? But I planted Apollos water, but the Holy Spirit brought... He's saying like, no, there's unity. There should be an agreement through the Holy Spirit. And you know, want to know what's amazing about unity in the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit will bring about unity in people who have no business being unified together. We said this all the time. We look around our missional community... And, and, and even before when we sent out other missional communities and we look at those people, it's like there is no reason that you and I should be sitting across this table eating together. There's no reason that, uh, that you should be caring for me and I should be caring for you. There's no reason we should be va- vacationing together. Right? Because like we are so opposite. But that is the beauty of the unity of the gospel. Because if you don't like... If you don't like... Um, What's it called when uh, diversity now? You are not going to enjoy heaven. (laughs) People of all tongues, all nations, all people will be gathered around the same Rome, same throne, praising the same God in unison. And our churches, our missional communities should look like that to the world. We shouldn't need commercials on the radio to tell us that diversity is good because we should see it in the church and we should see the fruit of it and it should push us to be more diverse. A wolf does not bring diversity. He brings conformity. The Holy Spirit brings unity. Not on a cause. Not on a purpose. Not on a political campaign. Not on a humanitarian effort but on a Savior. Unity on who and what and how are we saved. I was texting this morning with a friend, actually. He's in Alabama. They planted a church. Actually, John uh, and I met him when we went to Soma School last year. And sadly, their church plant failed, and, and they're, they're kind of struggling through that. And so we talked about failure. And we, and we talked about how sometimes we seek failure as our Savior because it means the discomfort and the hard work will end. But in that, God has shown us 
His grace, that He alone can save us. Failure is not a good Savior. Doesn't that sound absurd to say? But a lot of people live their lives worshiping failure because in them it's an excuse, it's a reason, it's an out from the hard work. The last reason as we wrap up this morning, the last way that we spot a wolf is by abiding. Verse 24, he says, he writes, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Do you realize that you cannot detect a wolf unless you know what a sheep looks like? It's, it's well documented that the way that the FBI trains its counterfeit operations is not by inspecting all the different types of counterfeit. It is solely by teaching them and telling them and training them on what the real thing looks like. If you know what is true, you can just spot what is fake and what is a lie. But if you only focus what's on fake, you might know that one, that one flaw in that dollar bill, but what happens when the counterfeiters come up with a new flaw? What if they take that flaw away and they exchange it with a different flaw? You'll begin to pass on what? Fake for real. The lie for a truth. So the way to know a counterfeit, the way to spot a wolf is by abiding in what is true. He says, abide in what you heard from the beginning. He's not talking about creation. He's talking about when they were first saved. They heard the gospel that Jesus alone saves that Jesus covers your sin, that you don't have to save yourself, that God in His grace has extended salvation to you. All you do is you believe it and you receive it. He's saying abide in that. Abide in grace. Abide in God's mercy of not giving you what you deserve so that you may receive His grace. Abide in that. How encouraging how, how almost washing, would you, if you will. Listen, we're going to go camping. And, and one of my favorite things to do after camping is to go home and take a hot shower and to wipe all the camping off as much as I love it. And would you agree with me that there's times in your life where you just feel so filthy, whether it be from sin or whether it be from the way somebody rejected you or treated you, that, there is, that, that there's like this physical washing that you feel at times when it is washed. These people had to have experienced that when he tells them to abide. Don't detour from what you have heard. Abide in it. Continue to believe that Christ is the forgiveness of sins, that the light Christ Jesus is the way to be saved and not by looking in yourself. That must have washed them. That must have left them feeling so renewed. And then he ends with a promise. And he says that actually he ends with the reward. He, he, he doesn't tell them that you're going to wander around forever, but he gives them a reward at the end of the journey, at the end of the struggling, at the end of the suffering. And that reward is eternal life. Eternity in the presence and the grace and the joy of God Almighty. Let's pray. God, I pray this morning that we would abide in the Son and in the Father. I pray this morning, God, that we would be more educated, God, and that we would not rely on our education, but, Lord, that we would rely on the Spirit, really, um, Lord, in our ability to spot wolves. I thank you, God, that you have given us the true shepherd, that we would know the truth from the false. 
that you have given us Christ Jesus to follow and to watch and to walk after and to emulate, God, that we might know the truth. We would not have to spend our time trying to discern all the fakeness, God, because we can focus and we can abide in the truth. I pray, God, this morning, Lord, that as we leave here and we head into our week, Lord, and into our our missional communities, I pray, God, that you would help us to encourage one another in the truth. That together, God, we would learn to spot wolves. God, that you would grow us in our maturity and that the Holy Spirit would give us the gift of discernment, that we would know fake from true, lie from truth. And God, that you would give us the courage to not follow the wolves, no matter how nice they might be but God, that we would follow the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. God, we are so dependent on the shepherd because the truth is when you save us, you don't turn us into a shepherd, you turn us into a sheep. And sheep are vulnerable to wolves. Sheep cannot defend themselves from wolves, but the shepherd can. And you are a good shepherd who stands ready to protect your sheep. You are a good shepherd who has never lost a single sheep to a wolf. And God, we count on that strength, Lord, to persevere. God, not to us, but to your name be the glory.